Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 through 38. This is Sodom and Gomorrah part two, okay? And just a reminder, chapter 19 of Genesis is the, I would say, one of the most terrible chapters of the Bible. The reason why is because the content that is in here, the sinful nature of humanity, it is real, it is disgusting, and it is just straightforward. And that's one thing I love about the Bible. The Bible does not hide the good. It does not hide the bad of the saints or the sinners. And we see here some evil that comes from the human heart, from the sinner and the saint. And so, as a reminder, you can sum up this whole entire chapter in four words. They all start with D. Desire, destruction, deliverance, and depravity. So these four words summarize this whole entire chapter. You have first desire, destruction, deliverance, and depravity. And the first one is desire. And that's verses 1 through 11. We looked at this last time, but I want to do a little recap to help refresh your minds. The characters that are in this chapter, you have these two angels that come to visit Lot. And Lot is one of the main characters in this chapter, along with his wife, his daughters, possibly four of them, his couple sons, we don't really know much about them, two son-in-laws, and then the people of Sodom, who had these sinful desires, and Abraham himself. And so these two angels come to Lot, into the town of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were going to stay the night in the town square, and Lot urges them to come into his house. And they came during the evening, and part of this chapter takes place at night, in the early morning. And so they go to Lot's house, he prepares them food, and they go down to sleep. In verses 4 through 11, we actually see the sinful desires of the people of Sodom. Both young and old men are knocking on the door, pounding and asking Lot to hand over the two men that came in, the two angels. Now, Lot didn't know that these were two angels. He saw them as men because they disguised themselves. But the people of Sodom actually were practicing homosexuality, so much so that they were asking for the two men so they could sleep with them. Both young and old were asking that. And the word young in Hebrew is adolescent. It could be people your age, high school, or around that time. So both old and young are asking for these two men. And Lot refuses. He says, no, I'm not going to give you them. And then selfishly, he says, you can take my two daughters. And that's kind of gross if you think about it. And they said, no, we're going to treat you even worse and these two angels actually blinded everybody. The word blinded here means like they had this confusion. And they actually were blinded. They couldn't even feel where the door was all night. All night they were searching. And they couldn't find it. And this is what came from their own nature, their own hearts. It was their desires that were compelling them to do this. And a desire is a powerful thing that will make you do things that you would never think you would do. Longing and desire is more powerful than your intellect. 
Desire is more powerful than your mind. A desire can just come over you and you want to fulfill that desire. In Romans chapter 1, verses 25 to 27, it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is praised or forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And I want to point something out to you. God is just allowing the human nature to take its course. He gave them over to their own desires. And he goes, you want your own desires? God just literally just said, he stepped back. He goes, all right, my hands are done. My hands are off. And he goes on to say in Romans, even the women exchanged the natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned the natural relationship with women, were inflamed with lust for one another, men committing shameful acts with other men and receiving within themselves the due penalty of their error. God basically just said, fine, you want your desires? You can have your desires. But I really want to remind us from last time People will point to chapter 19 and say, God hates homosexuals. And that is not true. God loves sinners. He loves people. He loves those who are in the gay lifestyle. He loves lesbians. He loves the LGBTQ community. He does not love what it stands for, but he loves the people in it. He passionately loves them so much. He sent his son to die on the cross for them. The whole entire world, them included, every person, the worst of humanity, Jesus died for. Now, I'm not saying those in the LGBTQ are the worst of humanity. They aren't. But Jesus died for everybody. But there's a moment where God says enough is enough. Literally, there's almost, like, think of it as a meteor, a meter. And there's a moment where the meter gets so high and he, the sin just gets filled up and filled up. And God says, all right, enough's enough. And he's done with this sin. And he has to step in and do something about it. But God's patient too. He waits a long time. Before the children of Israel came in and destroyed their enemies in the promised land, God waited five, over 500 years to punish them. Wouldn't you say that's considered patient? We don't even wait a month. God waited 500 years and waited and waited. And so, God is so much more patient than we are. But when it comes to sin and His righteousness, He has to deal with sin and put it back in its place. These desires actually led to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's verses 12 through 26. Follow along with me. Verse 12. These men, which are the angels, said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. The angels are yelling at him to do this. In verse 13. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke with his son-in-laws who had married his daughters 
and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is, will destroy this city. But his son-in-laws, but to his son-in-laws, he seemed he was joking. Let's stop there for a moment. Verses 12 through 14. These angels tell Lot that they're going to destroy the city. And he says, if you have any family members left here, tell them to get up and leave. And so immediately Lot goes to his family members, to his two daughters and his son-in-laws possibly. He's like, God's going to destroy this place. Get out of here. Please leave. But they thought he was joking. They thought he was messing around. See, Lot's lips had no power because his life wasn't backing up his words. When our lives do not agree with our lips, no one will listen. When our lives do not agree with our lips, no one will listen. Our actions have to line up with our words. They do. If we say we are a Christian, but we live differently, something needs to change. Our words must back up our actions and vice versa. See, the fact that Lot, no one wanted to listen to him, his family didn't want to listen to him, proved that he had no testimony. His testimony had no power. And if we desire to see our family members saved, we have to use our words and our actions. Our words and our actions have to go together. And if we tell our family members that Jesus is real, but our lives say something differently, what is our family members going to think of us? We're a hypocrite, right? Usually if you, you know somebody and they say one thing, but they live differently, that's a hypocrite. And no one wants to be involved with hypocrites. And that's kind of the category Lot fits into here. Look at verses 15 through 22. Verse 15. Then the morning dawned. Okay, so he spent. Check this out for a moment. The angels blinded all the men that surrounded Lot's house. And they're trying to feel for the door, walking around at night. Lot sneaks out, walks by all the men who are trying to feel around, and they can't get anywhere. And he goes to his daughters and his son-in-laws and tells them, but they don't listen. So he goes back to his house. And now the morning is starting to dawn. And the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Rise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of this city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. The Lord be merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside the outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. 
please let me escape there. It is not, is it not a little one? My soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have found favor. I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zehorah. It's interesting. These angels are urging him. There's exclamation marks in this thing. They are shouting. It's a very intense situation. Light's starting to dawn. You've stayed up all night about these situations that are taking place. Tensions are high. And the angels urged Lot to hurry. They constantly insisted to him, hurry up, hurry up, man, let's go. Hurry. I remember when I was growing up and I was dependent upon my parents to go to church. It was always funny because we would always be waiting for a couple people in the family who took forever to get ready. Do you guys have those people? How many of you guys like being early places? I love being early. Like, and I hate being late. And so the people that love being early will hurry up those that are normally late. And there's just people that are always lagging behind. And maybe that was just Lot. He was just always lagging behind. He was never in this kind of hurry kind of mindset. The angels are saying, hey, you need to hurry up. But notice Lot was lingering. He lingered. He stayed. Lot hesitated. He didn't move. He wasn't moving. Lot was slow to grasp the seriousness of the situation. He was slow to grasp what was going on. And as I was thinking about this, and I see the word hurry here in verse 15, you see the word hurry in verse 22. You also see the word hurry in chapter 18, verse 6, where Abraham hurried to serve the Lord. But Lot is not hurry. He's lingering. It made me think, are we hesitating when we should be hurrying? Are we hesitating when we should actually have this mindset of urgency? That the Lord's coming back at any moment. That we should be busy about God's business. And Lot lingered. He kind of froze. And so you know what the angels did? The angels grabbed his hand, they grabbed his wife's hand and his daughter's hand and said, let's go. <laughs> they got dragged out by angels. <laughs> I wonder if, like, if, if Lot's hand was like crushed, I don't know. <laughs> angels are powerful and strong. And so they grabbed them and dragged them outside of the city. But notice it says, because the Lord was merciful. The Lord had mercy on Lot. But look at the judgment that falls in verses 23 through 26. And the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zahor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. For the Lord, from the Lord, uh, sorry, from the Lord out of heavens. Verse 25. 
So he overthrew those cities, all the plains, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife over, uh, his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. We see the destruction poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. When Lot entered this town, the sun had risen upon the earth. And you know what? As the people of Sodom woke up that morning, they had no idea what was going to come. They had no idea destruction was going to fall. And the Lord rained down fire and brimstone. This is the very first time fire is used in the Bible. And it refers to judgment here. He rained down fire. Now, what was this like? Did a volcano erupt and it literally just annihilated them all? Was meteors sent down from heaven and just went and destroyed them? Or did God just simply go like this and split an atom in half and created a bomb, wiping them out? They have done excavations around the Dead Sea because it's around the Dead Sea where they believe Sodom and Gomorrah was. And they said they have found possibly a fine layer of glass over some of the um, pottery and different things there. They actually lit off a bomb in the desert. Um, It might have been an atom bomb. And when they lit it off in the desert, it created a sea of glass because it burned the sand so hot it created glass. It's very possible that God just went like this and completely annihilated Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't know how, but God was fed up. God gave them chances to repent because that's in his nature, and I believe that's what he did. It is backed up throughout all of Scripture. Even through Noah's life, he preached, and people didn't believe. And so fire came down, and it says all the plains, the whole entire area, it says all the inhabitants, How many people lived in Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know. Imagine if Chino was wiped out. Imagine if Ontario just wiped out on the map or Upland or wherever you live. (laughs) That'd be terrifying, right? Everybody died. Nobody escaped. But something else is kind of interesting here. It says all the planes, all the people, and it says all the plants. All the plants got annihilated. And you might be thinking, like, well, the plants did nothing wrong. Why, why did the plants get destroyed too? Because where people do wickedness, it defiles everything. The whole land was defiled. And God says, enough is enough. And not anything was able to grow there again. See, I went to um, the Dead Sea. And you know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because nothing can grow in there. Nothing can live in there. Because the amount of salt content... If you actually swim in the Dead Sea, they tell you, our tour guide told us not to spend too much time in there because it literally drains the water from you because it's salt. And so you literally, I'm literally out of the water like this and I can't touch the floor. My stomach is out of the water because there's so much salt. You can literally float and you can't ever sink in the Dead Sea. It's the coolest, trippiest thing ever. But there's this huge 500 foot tall in I think a, maybe a mile wide or so mound of salt there. It's huge. The guy, went, uh, when he was giving us a tour, he's like, hey, lick this rock 
We're like, why should we lick a rock? Like, that's so weird. He goes, just do it. He goes, you got to use your five senses to figure out what it is. So we smelled it. We kind of touched it. We looked at it. And so we finally tasted it. And it was a mound of salt. Huge. That's true. That's probably gross. <laughs> um, but it's sun and salt, and so it's already disinfected. Pretty, pretty good, kind of. So, um, but this judgment came, and it demonstrates God's righteousness. It demonstrates God's righteousness against sin and how He will deliver the godly from destruction. It's funny. I think there's no pleasing human nature. People get mad for destroying for God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, but then God, people get mad for God not doing and punishing sin other places. God's going to do whatever is righteous in his eyes. And we have to trust him. We can't redefine things. Look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. In turning the city of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. So Sodom and Gomorrah is an example where God says, hey, I wrote this down permanently in scripture for everyone to see whoever follows their desires and lives their life after their feelings and just allows their feelings and their desires to dictate their life, this is the path that you're gonna go down. Destruction. Jude chapter 1 verse 7 says, And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice, don't forget. We have to remember. And their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion, those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. They're a warning. It's a warning sign. But then, notice, they haven't escaped judgment completely. They haven't made it to the town. And as on their way to the town, I'm not sure if Lot was holding on to his wife's hand as they were running, if she was just behind him. But all of a sudden, what does Lot's wife do? Lot's wife looked back. She looked back. She completely ignored the angel's instructions. In verse 17, the angel said, do not look behind you. She looked behind her. Jesus even tells us in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Now, why do you guys think Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife? What are some thoughts? What do you think? Why do you think God tells us to remember Lot's wife? There's very little that we know about her, but we do know that she looked behind her. She disobeyed the angels. She disobeyed the angels. So we got to obey God. That's good. What else? She probably mourned Think about this. We do not know where she came from. She could have grew up in Sodom. She could have grew up in Egypt. We don't know actually the backstory of Lot's wife. I like what you said. You know why? Maybe it's because her, even though she left Sodom physically, her heart was still there. She's like, I want that town. 
I want to go back. And when it says she looked back, it's not like she just like glanced back. God didn't punch, uh, punish her for just looking back. She looked back with this longing in her heart. She looked back of saying, I want to go back. And that's why she became a pillar of salt. Whether she became an actual pillar of salt or she was destroyed, we don't know, but she was judged. She looked behind. And this is a warning to us that we should not look back. I think it's important to look back to see where God has taken us from, but don't look back to the old life, longing after it, longing after those pleasures that you left. Don't look back. Look to Jesus, because looking to Jesus is what matters. Looking to Jesus by faith, saying that he is the greatest thing that we can ever have. And I love that song that Kristen sang in there. He keeps on getting better. From our point of view, God never stops getting better and better and better and better. He reveals himself inch by inch. And as he's an infinite God. <laughs> she looked back and judgment fell on her. Destruction. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Before, you want to see what happens before destruction? Pride comes first. It's pride, then the people were destroyed. Pride is at the heart of our sinful nature. It was at the heart of Lucifer, Satan. And it's at the heart of the LGBTQ community. What do they call January? What month? Pride month. Pride is at the center of the LGBTQ community. And they praise it. Pride is never a good thing. Remember that. That's why I don't like even school pride. Because pride is, you think of pride as a dirty word, okay? <laughs> I want you, whenever you think of pride, think of it as just a dirty word because God doesn't like the word. Pride is the anti-God state of mind, C.S. Lewis says. It's like, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. And I don't believe Sodom and Gomorrah were just punished because of the sin of homosexuality. I actually starts with pride. And they said, we don't want God. It says in Proverbs chapter 6, there's six things the Lord hates, and seven are abomination. And one of them is a proud look. He cannot stand people who have pride in their hearts. And that's why God says, I will resist the proud, and I will give grace to the humble. Those who humbly admit, I am wrong, I have screwed up, I'm sorry, who own their actions. God says, all right, you can have my grace. Our desires can lead us to destruction, but thankfully our God is stronger than our desires and he is able to save us and deliver us from our desires and even change our desires. This next portion in verses 27 through 29 is deliverance. In verse 27, now Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. When he had looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up 
like the smoke of a furnace. And it, wa- and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the un- overthrown when he overthrew the city which Lot had dwelt. So we see deliverance here. What are some reasons God delivered Lot? Think about it. Why do you think God delivered Lot? He wasn't living like a Christian. He wasn't acting like a Christian. So why did God deliver Lot? There's three reasons here. Number one, because God is merciful. God is merciful. Look at verse 16 again. The Lord being merciful to him. Whenever God pours out his wrath or his judgment, he always remembers mercy. As we were going through the book of Revelation, every time God was pouring out his wrath, he gave people chances to repent. And in the end time, when he's judging the world, he gives people chances over and over and over and over to repent and get saved. And that's his mercy. If I was God, I'd be like, oh, you're all judge. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not God. But he gives people chances over and over. So he's merciful. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 says, In wrath, remember mercy. In the midst of his wrath, God remembers to be merciful because that's part of his nature. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgression and the sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. He's merciful. But I want you to notice deliverance, rescuing, saving, does not come because of our own goodness. If you want to be saved from something, if you want to be saved from a situation, if you want to be saved from your own desires, if you want to be saved from your sin, it doesn't come from your goodness. And thankfully, it doesn't come from my goodness either because I would never be saved. It comes from the goodness of God. It's because of God's mercy and his grace that he delivers us. Remember that. So when if you feel ashamed to ask for deliverance, don't feel ashamed. God already knows what's in you. Plead on his mercy and say, God, because of your mercy and because of your grace, would you deliver me? I know I don't deserve it, but would you help me? We are delivered the same way Lot is delivered because of God's mercy. The second reason God delivers Lot is because of Abraham's prayer. Notice here in the story, we go back to Abraham. And in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he met with the Lord. He went back to that spot where he had this conversation with God. And he actually interceded. He prayed for Lot. God actually said, should I hide this thing from Abraham, my friend? And he trusted him with this secret. And the purpose of him telling the secret of him destroying Sodom and Gomorrah was to provoke a response within Abraham. And Abraham pleaded for his nephew, praying to God, hey, what if there's 50 righteous? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 10 righteous? Will you still destroy the city? And God says, no. 
but there wasn't even 10 righteous in Sodom. Notice, it was Lot, his wife, but his wife didn't even make it out. So it was his Lot and his two daughters that made it out. There wasn't even five righteous in the whole city. God listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe from disaster. Our God answers prayer. Don't forget that. He's listening. In Psalm 34, verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. The third reason Lot was rescued is because he was righteous. Now, when we think of Lot, and if we only had chapter 19 here, we would say Lot was definitely not righteous, dude. <laughs> no way. But scripture says otherwise. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his thoughts, uh, tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to do, deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver us from those situations. Only the Lord can truly deliver us from destruction and from our situation, from our sin. Because it says in Psalm 3 verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. I like this verse. You know why? The word salvation can also mean deliverance or rescue. It belongs to the Lord. He owns it. And since the Lord owns salvation, since the Lord owns deliverance, he's the only one that can deliver. The world may promise deliverance. The enemy may whisper into our ears, he can save us or help us through something else. But the world and the enemy can't. Their promises are empty. They're hollow because they do not have salvation. So they cannot give something that they do not have. And salvation is of the Lord. And so God's like, you want to be saved? You have to come to me first. You have to come to Jesus if you want salvation. It's not found in any other religion. It's only found in Jesus Christ. It belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21 verse 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. You can prepare to fight all you want. But if you want to be delivered from the spiritual warfare, from your sin, it comes from the Lord. And the Lord doesn't want, he wants to deliver us. He wants to deliver us from Satan, from the world system. He wants to deliver us from ourselves, from the punishment and the penalty of sin, from the power of sin and the presence of sin. He even wants us to deliver us from the wrath to come. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He doesn't want to punish us. In Psalm 18, verse 19, it says, He delivers me because he delights in me. If you guys don't have that verse underlined, you might want to underline that because... We think sometimes God doesn't delight in us. We look at ourselves and we see the worst. But God looks at us and he delights over us. He has joy over us. He looks at you 
And he says, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. And he takes pleasure in us. And that's why he delivers us. Deliverance has two aspects. God extends his hand to us, but we have to take hold of his hand. We got to take hold of his promises. We have to believe him that he will deliver us. In the end, verses 30 through 38, it ends in depravity. The word depravity actually means moral corruption or wickedness. Now, I'm not going to read through these verses, but I'll summarize it for you because of time. Basically, they leave, and because of fear, Lot doesn't stay in that one town that he was going to go. He actually goes to the mountains and hides in a cave with his daughter, with his daughters, actually. And as they're hiding in the caves, the unspeakable thing happens. And I'm not trying to be rude or gross, but this is what the Bible says. It was shameful for women to not have kids back then. And because his two daughters did not have kids and they were not married, the older one has this idea and says, hey, let's get dad drunk so we can sleep with him and get pregnant. And that's what happens. For some reason, when they left Sodom and Gomorrah, they had wine with them. And they had this idea. And so the older daughter gets the father drunk, sleeps with him, and the next night the younger daughter, and Lot is not even aware of it. It is disgusting. But that's the depravity, and that's the wickedness of the sinful nature. Not only that, that's how culture influences and affects us. Lot was a righteous man, but he had no effect on his environment. He had no effect. What about us? Are we influencing the environment that we are in or is the environment influencing us? Sodom had a bigger impact on Lot's family than Lot's family had a bigger impact on Sodom. And it's from these two daughters getting pregnant that two nations are born, the Moabites and the Amorites. These two nations become thorns in the nation Israel on their side. <clears throat> it's the Moabite women who actually later seduce the Israelite men to commit immorality. And it's the Amorites who taught the people of Israel how to worship the god Molech. And you might not know this, but the god Molech is how they actually offered children's sacrifice. It was this image like this, where its hands were out with a hollow back, and they would throw flaming hot coals into the hollow image, and so that the hands would turn hot red, and they would put the babies on the hands of the, this god. And to drown out the sound of the babies crying, they have drums on the side. When we sow to the flesh, we will reap to the flesh. But when we sow to the Spirit, we will reap things of the Spirit. Our actions have consequences. But thank God, we have a God that can deliver us from our actions, who can cover our sin. And so this is the last time Lot's mentioned. 
What a sad story. What a sad testimony that this is the last time he's mentioned. We're told about him from Jesus and other places, but this is the last time we see him in Genesis. Where are we at in this story? Are we Abraham who's looking from afar? Are we the people in Sodom who are dealing with sin? Are we like Lot who is backslidden? Wherever you're at, the Lord wants to deliver you and he desires to deliver you. He loves you and wants to have mercy upon you. Notice that Lot was righteous, but he went after the world, thinking he can gain, any, gain the world. And you know what he lost? He lost his testimony. He lost his wife. He lost his sons. He lost his daughters. He lost his son-in-laws. He lost his communion with the Lord. He lost his house. He lost his property. He lost his riches. He lost his character. And he nearly lost his own life. Jesus says, if you try to keep and hold on to the world, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. If you give up everything for Jesus, it'll be worth your while.